This podcast was sponsored by Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services. Baba Sobers Wealth Management works with physicians, medical practices, and hospitals, providing comprehensive wealth management services for individuals and institutions. Visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC. FirstNet, built with AT&T, is the only nationwide wireless network built with and for emergency responders, including Arizona physicians, nurses, and other critical staff. FirstNet subscribers get a great mobile experience with added security and peace of mind. Visit firstnet.com to learn more. It's hard. I know it's incredibly frustrating. I've been there myself. But to the extent you can, hang on to your empathy and and listen first and respond to the concerns that they have. They really are trying to do the right thing by their kids. They're just getting bombarded with information that either isn't true or is misconstrued in a way to make them overly concerned. Hi, and welcome to the Arizona Physician Podcast. My name is John McElligot, your host for today's episode. And our two guests are Drs. Bob England and Mr. Will Humble. Dr. Bob is a longtime Arizona public health physician and former director of both the Maricopa and Pima County Health Departments. He's currently the interim executive director of the Arizona Partnership for Immunization, also known as TAPI. And Mr. Will Humble is the executive director of the Arizona Public Health Association. He's the former director of the State Health Department under the Jan Brewer administration. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Yeah, well, we want to talk today um, about childhood vaccines, sort of set the stage for people about what's going on, what the policies are, and uh, changes that are that are in the works, or um, how we can educate physicians about why that's important. So first, let's talk about the increase in uh, what are called personal exemptions for childhood vaccines. And Will, uh, this question is to you. For which vaccines does Arizona law allow parents to exempt their children? And could you describe this process for requesting an exemption? Is it really easy? Do they do it online? Okay, so yeah, here's the way it works in Arizona. The state health department has a list of the vaccines that are required for admission to to school and daycare. So there's a, there's a list for daycare or preschool. And then there's a list for, you know, the elementary and high schools. And uh, they're, they're staggered at different ages, you know. So this list is, is, is with the authority of the state health department. They have to do a regulation, it's called a rule, to establish that list. I don't know how many is on there, maybe 16 vaccines, something like that. But that's about the number of vaccines that are quote unquote, and I'm using air quotes, required for school or daycare admission. The reason I'm using air quotes is because they're not really required. (laughs) They're more of suggested because Arizona has three different kinds of exemptions um, to that requirement. One's totally legit, one's pretty legit, and one is inappropriate, I think. Um, there's medical exemptions, totally legit. There are kids out there that 
for one reason or another, uh, their pediatrician may say, you know, uh, the, the, the risk of the vaccine outweighs the benefit for you and you have a medical exemption. There's different reasons why that might happen. It's a sliver, less than 1% of kids are in that category. Um, there's another uh, category of religious exemptions for preschool. To me, that's more arguable whether that's legit or not. I, I don't have a real problem with religious exemptions. I wish that there were a mechanism whereby, you know, some faith leader would be required to sign the exemption form and, and turn that in with the parent. That's not the case now. It's just a religious exemption. Again, the religious is, is for the, the, the preschool kids. And then there's the, you know, the big giant gate that's left open in the corral, which is personal exemptions, which just means I don't feel like it. And so when I was at the state health department, um, we saw this increasing trend of more personal exemptions across the board, especially in elementary school. And so we said, okay, what can we do about this? And our strategy was let's, let's start by at least fixing the form because the parents could download this extraordinarily simple form and fill it out and hand it in. And that counted as a personal exemption and that just kept it in the administrator's office at the school. Um, and we thought, okay, let's make this so that it looks like the forms when you rent a car. Like, so that like we make parents initial after, look, if you don't vaccinate your kid for measles, these are the bad things that can happen. And you make them initial to say, I understand that by exempting my kid, I'm putting my kid and his or her classmates at risk. Initial, measles, mumps, rubella, D, P, T. So go down the list. And, um, and, and so we started with trying to make the form to put more, what's the right word, informed consent yeah. into the form. And, uh, and we started to see some stabilization, at least for a couple of years in towards 2013 and 14, we started seeing a leveling off of the, that trend towards more personal exemptions. Um, and then I left state government in uh, early 2015. Um, but uh, the effort did continue to try to build more informed consent into the process. It was a pilot project done by Maricopa County and maybe Bob, you can jump in here that Maricopa County Public Health had a, a pilot project where they're like, okay, let's create some videos and do even more informed consent so that before parents can download their form that allows them to, you know, to turn in the personal exemption that we've at least given them an opportunity to think it through um, and presented some evidence-based information and maybe we'll change some hearts and minds with that. Uh, and Bob, you can, you could probably tell the story of what happened to that. You don't have to on this podcast, but if uh, why don't you show, like talk about what you did, how you did it, and then what happened. Let's just say it got politically derailed. And I'm going to talk more about what we're heading for politically in just a bit. It was, we thought, a pretty straightforward, innocuous way just to make sure that parents got good information and weren't reading simply misinformation before they made such an important choice. They could still exempt at will. You go through an educational module online, print out 
the form at the end of finishing the module, and then you can sign it and turn it in. Um, but some schools still use this as a tool, but any movement toward making that system-wide got derailed politically. Okay. And by turning it on, so the process part of it, parents just turn this into the school, they turn this into the county health department, their doctor's office, where? Into the school. Okay. And right now it's as simple as, you know, you're enrolling your kid in school. They you get to the point where they ask you for your immunization record and they say, I want to sign a form instead. Okay. And from a medical perspective, why does this matter to the children, the individual kid themselves and to the kids around them in school? This is really important. And this audience understands that vaccines are not strictly a personal health decision. Whether the person next to you is immunized matters to you because no vaccine works perfectly. You still could get exposed if you are like, you could still contract the infection if you are likely to be exposed. And I know this audience understands herd immunity, but just a way to explain it to the general public that I think is easy is if one person comes in with a particular disease, the more people around that person that are already immune, the harder it is for that germ to find the next person to jump to. And if it does find another person to jump to, the harder it is for to jump to the next person after that. So if you get to the point where you get enough people immunized that you get less than one new infection for every original disease that was brought in, outbreaks can't happen anymore. And so even if your particular vaccine didn't work or you are one of the folks who couldn't get it from a medical exemption, for example, then you are still protected because you are very unlikely to ever be exposed. And that's how we took all those formerly very common diseases and practically eliminated so many of them. Yeah, thank you. That's good perspective. And I think a lot of people listening in Arizona, they're very familiar with with wildfires. And that's often an analogy that the brush fire that'll happen. And if you can contain that in advance and and reduce the energy supply that's around that fire, then it's going to be contained and won't be as big. Yeah, Um, that's a great, great analogy. Will, I want to ask you, how much of an increase in personal exemptions has really occurred over the last 10 or so years? So what's been happening, it's really been kind of insidious. So what's been happening is we've been losing one half of 1% on our vaccination rates per year for the last 15 years, I think now. So you say, well, one half of 1%, that's not such a big deal. Well, in 10 years, that's 5%. In 15 years, that's uh, 7.5%. And that's enough to put the system at risk so that you don't have the protections that Bob just described, combined with the fact that that's just the overall exemption rate. That's overall. That's averaging it across the whole Arizona. What you got to remember is it's not evenly distributed. So there's different populations with different levels of exemptions. I'll start with the big picture and then drill down. In general, 
the higher income the parents, the more likely it is that they'll choose a, a, a personal exemption. So it's a, it, this is a, the opposite of most things in public health, where the, the phenomenon is the wealthier you are, the, the less likely you are to vaccinate your kids. And, and they have access, they got great insurance. Um, it's that they're choosing not to because they saw something on Facebook or in their friend group or whatever. Um, among the Medicaid population, so kids that are enrolled in access, the vac I, when I was in my, in my old job, we had we asked access to run those numbers and it's tremendously like the vaccination rate among the Medicaid member kids is really high. So it's this is in large part a phenomenon of upper income areas. And then the other granularity, there's a geographic and then a, a, let me do geography next and then I'll hit a home run at the end <laughs> with one of the huge problems. So geography wise, you tend to see higher vaccination rates, better vaccination rates in Pima County, Yuma County, um, Coconino County. Those three places have generally higher vaccination rates, but you've got other counties like Beavapai with horrible vaccination rates. Like there's whole many, 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 many schools in Yavapai County where the vaccination rates are in the like 76% range. Not, <laughs> we need 95 for herd immunity for measles. This is way, way, way below that in certain places like Yavapai County. Um, so there's a geography component to this too. And then the final thing is there is and I think this is also an income related deal, which is if you look at the vaccination rates and compare the public district schools to the charter schools, you got much better vaccination rates in the public schools than you do charter. And, and I think this is a phenomenon that wealthier families are choosing to use charter schools. Um, and that if you're gonna question the, you know, the education at a, at a public school, that's maybe you're more likely to question you know, vaccines kind of thing. So there's a geographic effect, there's an income effect, and then there's an, you know, an effect of, which I think is an artifact of those two things, which is that the vaccination rates in the charter schools are really, really bad. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll take a short break and come back and continue this discussion about childhood vaccines. We'll talk about why this is happening, any ideas that uh, Dr. Bob, you may have, and policy changes. We'll look at also the impact of the, the VFC network. We'll be right back. Interested in CME, patient and professional referrals, networking and connecting with other physicians across the valley, want to be highlighted in our Arizona Physician Magazine and podcast, or interested in exclusive discounts for your next vacation? At MCMS, we offer all of the above to fit your needs as a physician. Join us now. For more info, check us out at mcmsonline.com or give us a call today at 602-252-2015. Welcome back to the Arizona Physician Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Dr. Bob England and Mr. Will Humble about childhood vaccines. In the first half of the show, we talked about the increase in personal exemptions, impacts on those children directly and the kids around them in school. So let's talk about why that may be happening, why the increase in Arizona. Dr. Bob, any ideas? Yeah, I think there's two big things. Um, one is a system issue, but let me first address uh, choice that parents are making. We live 
in an era of unprecedented confirmation bias, all of us. Some of it's deliberate, the choice of news sources that we choose to listen to, but a lot of it is, is hidden from us because in this era of social media, the algorithms that are buried in those social media platforms very much skew what we ever see. So if you're a concerned parent and you heard something about vaccines that made you worry and you're a new parent and you go online and you read a couple of uh, anti-immunization articles, those are the ones you click on first. The next time you do a search, all you're going to see is similar types of misinformation. And um, e even if you don't do a search, things are going to pop up in your platform. Honestly, none of us should be surprised that there are many caring parents wanting to do the right thing that can't understand why on earth anybody would vaccinate their kids because all they ever see and hear is misinformation and rumors and conspiracy theories because that's all they see. It's part of a, the bigger problem we're all facing because of the same reasons that we have increasingly divergent beliefs in what is real. What even are the facts? You see it in all matter of our life now. Another thing that has fed into that is with COVID, for the first time, vaccine acceptance became a partisan political issue. We'll talk earlier about higher educated folks tending to, um, to choose exemptions more often. Historically, that's been true. That, that goes, went to both parties, right? And extremely liberal folks and extremely conservative folks in that same boat. With COVID, it suddenly became a partisan issue. By the time we had passed the peak of the big Omicron wave last winter, the percentage of Republicans who had been fully vaxxed and boosted with that first dose of booster at that point was about half of the rate in Democrats. There's no explanation for that other than to say it became a partisan political issue. And that was hugely important. People in Arizona in January, that really big month of the Omicron wave of COVID, um, if you were vaxxed and boosted, you were 11 times less likely to get infected as somebody who had never been vaccinated. And you were 180 times more likely to survive and not die from COVID than somebody who had been unvaccinated. Um, and that's Arizona data. So this, I'm really afraid that that partisan divide over COVID vaccine could spill over into all of our vaccines going forward. And the system issue that I mentioned is, Will talked about how higher income, privately insured folks uh, were vaccinated at lower rates than Medicaid kids. Um, those lines in Arizona have begun to cross. And we're actually seeing the rate in Medicaid kids get down there just below the rate of um, 
privately insured. And that is a system issue. That speaks volumes to the fact that it's getting harder for people to, um, to easily obtain vaccines for their kids. So if you're a parent and you're working multiple jobs and you're taking your kid in and your pediatrician has referred you elsewhere for vaccines, at least some of them, you know, it's awfully tempting just to sign an exemption uh, for the convenience value to keep your kid in school. Okay. So there's a lot to unpack about the the system side and the political side. And right. we probably don't have the time today to go into all of the political side, but Will, a question for you that I think tying these together is given the political changes that are going on in Arizona, still in some parts of the state, very, very red, in some parts of the state, more purple now than it had been in the past. But do you predict any changes that would be happening to tackle some of the systemic problems that Dr. Bob was talking about? So let's go a little bit more detail on the system thing. So like, so Bob was talking about uh, kids enrolled in with Medicaid health insurance access. Well, so kids enrolled in access, um, get their vaccines from pediatric providers that are within the Medicaid network. They, they, these are docs that have signed up and said, okay, we'll, um, you know, we'll take the, we know the Medicaid reimbursement rate's bad, but we'll take those patients. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they sign up for that. And that's through what's called the, the VFC vaccines for children program. That's under the auspices of the CDC. Well, so no, this is, I'm, I'm just talking about access enrolled practices right now, Okay. but in order to be an access enrolled practice, in order to be in the Medicaid network, you also need to be enrolled in the vaccines for children program, the VFC program. And your listeners are going to know about this. Um, and which is part of CDC. Um, the thing is that in Arizona and in most states, the VFC program is within the state health department and they have inspectors who go out to the practices and look at wastage rates and this, you know, the temperature of the refrigerators and all that stuff, all that's needed regulation. But back in 2016, state health department started being pretty heavy handed about that regulation, uh, especially around wastage rates for vaccines and gave practices report cards and they were threatened with financial sanctions and um, the network of VFC providers has dropped dramatically in the last few years, meaning, uh, and because they were unwilling to, number one, deal with the the low reimbursement rates for Medicaid, but also to get hassled on top of it with, you know, financial sanctions and threats. uh, And you just say, look, I'm stopping the VFC. I'm not doing VFC anymore. It's not worth it. Their red tape's too deep and I don't have time for it. So we lost a lot of practices, pediatric practices to, to over-regulation. And we've gone from about 1,500 VFC providers in Arizona a few years ago to, I think it's less than 700 now. Now, part of that's you know consolidation of practices, but the majority of it are the state health department, Department of Health Services over-regulated the practices. They threw their hands up and quit. And they're still practicing medicine. They're still seeing kids. They're seeing privately insured kids because you can't be um, in the Medicaid network and not be a VFC provider. So I believe, like Bob just said, and I think he's right, that it's the with the rich 
families, it's they're choosing not to vaccinate their kids. With the lower income, it needs to be convenient. And these are not anti-vax families. They're under what we call underinsured, which means they're not against it. It's just become too hard because they either can't find a, a practice anymore that is in the Medicaid network and they drop out altogether, or uh, they are seeing a uh, their provider, which is not participating in VFC, which would be a non-Medicaid uh, practice. And, and, and so the, basically the network's thinning because it's an, and, and it's self-inflicted. This is a, a decision the state health department made to crack down on wastage that resulted in a dramatic drop in the number of system providers. And that is in part, I think, why what Bob described is that you see an increase in the exemption rates amongst lower income kids, which that used to not be the case. And it's a function of the behavior of a state agency. Okay. So that's something that could be corrected if they choose to do so. And hopefully you'd see that rebound. Well, that goes to your, yeah, you did ask that question. Um, it all depends on, you know, who it, we're recording this in early October of 2022. So uh, if you're listening to this in November of 2022, you're going to know the answer to a question we don't know, which is who the next governor is going to be. And there is a dramatic difference between these two candidates and, and, and there could be, and I don't know, I've never heard either of them talk about childhood vaccines, but but they're going to, you know, the chances are each of them would appoint very different directors of health, be both the health department and the Medicaid agency. Uh, Jamie Snyder has, has already said that she's leaving at the end of the Ducey administration. So we're going to have a new director of Medicaid and a new director of the state health department. And how those two people feel about the importance of vaccines um, will have a, a big influence on like what those agencies do, either blow it off, make it worse or try to make it better. All those are possible. Okay. I uh, just want to chime in on one thing here with Will. Uh, yeah, please. It is it is a fact that the VFC provider network is thinning. I'm not completely sure how much of that is due to federal regulatory issues that have changed over time and how much of it is how those regs are interpreted and implemented here in the state. So we are right now doing some research and we'll be doing some surveys of some of your listeners, many of your listeners. Uh, and I hope that you guys reply to the survey that we'll be sending out to try and get to the bottom of reasons VFC providers have left and then simultaneously do background work on how much of that was avoidable at our level here and how much wasn't. So okay. that we know what we need to change. Going and forward. with that information, you could design the intervention if you have the right people in the jobs I just talked about. Yeah. Right. right. True. This has been a lot, but I wanted to find out, uh, Dr. Bob, if you've got some advice for practicing physicians. Uh, how should pediatricians, for example, or family medicine docs be educating their parents about options and explaining the science behind the vaccines, which is longstanding? Are there other steps that the medical community writ large should be taking? And, and a lot of this falls under what you're doing at TAPI. Yeah, uh, this is the really tough part. As providers, you really do have influence with um, the parents uh, whose kids you're taking care of. They really do, for the most part, respect 
their healthcare provider and listen to the advice that you're giving them. Problem is you got your, you know, five minutes, if you're lucky to discuss this and you're doing battle with misinformation that they've been seeing online seven days a week in between each visit. Um, it's hard. I know it's incredibly frustrating. I've been there myself, but to the extent you can hang on to your empathy and, and listen first and respond to the concerns that they have. They really are trying to do the right thing by their kids. They're just getting bombarded with information that either isn't true or is misconstrued in a way to make them overly concerned. But you, motivational interviewing techniques that, that you guys all do well is still the best chance. And if they walk out of your office today without getting it, try again the next time. The other thing I would say about what the medical community in general should be doing, I'm going to make a plea here. This is going to be a difficult legislative session, I'm afraid. At least the potential is there. Nearly half the legislature is going to be new, uh, at least not the same as last year. And all of the legislative leadership from both parties are gone. So it's, it's um, going to be an environment in which Things that didn't make it too far down the pike can can move more easily this time. So docs, more often than your average Joe, have, have personal connections with people in powerful positions. So if you happen to know a legislator or been introduced to them or you play golf with them or whatever, I'd ask you to not lobby or dole anybody, but just offer yourself. Just say, hey, John, congratulations. I hope you're really successful in this new role. If you ever have any health-related question, or especially public health or vaccine type of question, please feel free to, to ask me. I'd be glad to give you some background. Elected officials are like anybody else. We lean on people we know for information and rely on our contacts. And if you can be that contact for them, then at least they can, you can help them understand the issues that they're, that they're deciding. Thank you very much. Today's discussion was about childhood vaccines. We're very fortunate to have two guests join us, Dr. Bob England and Mr. Will Humble. Gentlemen, thank you so much. The conversation continues. This production is brought to you by Maricopa County Medical Society. MCMS is increasing value for physicians throughout the valley. For more info, check out mcmsonline.com or simply give us a call at 602-252-2015. Helping physicians be the best they can be. Does your financial advisor help you pursue what matters most? With so much at stake when it comes to protecting everything you've worked so hard to achieve, it never hurts to get a second opinion about your financial future. At Baba Sobers Wealth Management at UBS Financial Services, our approach starts by understanding your life and what you want to accomplish. Then we work together to create a framework designed to give you the confidence to do what matters most, no matter what the markets are doing. 
We want to help ensure you have all you need for today, tomorrow, and for generations to come. For more information about Baba Sobers Wealth Management, visit our website at advisors.ubs.com forward slash Baba Sobers WM. We're members of FINRA and SIPC.